This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spend half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life even now as a media creator and beer professional. This is what gave birth to Mountain Sea Media, the stories that impact our lives and give meaning to our business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 45 of Good Beer Matters. The community is going to support you uh, if you get out there and tell your story and then you support them. It's a relationship. We can actually provide power to the grid to help the community. You start really looking at, you know, quality of life and what that means. And it's, it really comes down to the experiences and the relationships. We bring you back to Maui and to Hawaii 12 ounces at a time. Hawaii. It's a paradise that welcomes over 9 million visitors each year to the sun, the sand, and the surf. However, it's also the most remote island chain on Earth. This means that producing a product like beer is a Herculean effort that costs far more than it does anywhere else in the world. The challenges of culture, resources, demand, cost of living, and more are especially difficult and expensive. And they require solutions that are equally difficult and costly. If necessity is the mother of invention, my next guest found a way to solve these problems, create a large distribution footprint, and has done it all while being a steward of the community and the environment. In this episode, he tells a story of gaining knowledge and wisdom along his journey, and he shares his version of paradise with the rest of us. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 45 of Good Beer Matters with Maui Brewing Company's Garrett Marrero. Here in Oregon, just feels warmer now that I'm talking to someone from the island. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> you bet. Great to uh, great to be with you. <laughs> yeah, bet. Um, hey, uh, will you just start off? Will you just uh, do a, uh, introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit about your background within the the beer culture and beer community? Sure. Uh, so you know, my name is Garrett Marrero. I'm CEO and co-founder of Maui Brewing Company. Um, you know, I, I started off in beer, I think, uh, like any young man from the consumption side. And uh, growing up in San Diego, had a lot of great breweries opening up when I was in high school, just, just graduating high school. Um, my family was really into beer, so, you know, it gave me uh, kind of early, an early look at what good beer could be. And uh, that passion continued to develop uh, through college and um, on vacation one time in Hawaii. 
I learned that the, quote, local beer I was drinking was actually made uh, close to you uh, in Oregon as opposed to actually in Hawaii. And, of course, we're talking about Kona Brewing Company. Um, So I saw that as an opportunity to create an authentic local Hawaiian craft beer um, and at the time knew very little about doing that exact thing. But as a 26-year-old male, I was infallible and could do anything. So, um, you know, like all young men. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I remember those days. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, I, I what, what what my forty year old self would tell my twenty six year old self, I'll tell you. Oh my gosh, man! I'd I'd love to go back and just slap my twenty year old self and say, "You need to listen to me, son." Totally, totally. Um, well, I wanted I want to dive into that um, the Hawaii bit that you just brought up, but um, before we go there, tell me a little bit more about um, Maui Brewing. Um, I, I, I of course I knew of Maui Brewing. Gosh, back in 2010, 2011, I tasted some beer, of course, the Coconut Porter, the you know, probably world famous at this point. And I remember thinking, yep. oh, I, you know, uh, beer and coconuts are probably my two favorite flavors in the world. And so this has got to be great. And it was. But I went to Maui in 2011, went to uh, the the tasting room and brewery up in Lahaina and and had the coconut or the uh, yeah the coconut porter on tap and it just oh god everything on tap is just so much better sure yeah oh. absolutely at the source too right at the source at the source in fact uh, there was a, a young lady brewer uh, who was there and she was just you know, cleaning out a, a mash tun or something like that. And I had to run over there and ask her a bunch of questions about where you guys get your uh, ingredients from since you're in Hawaii. So, I mean, this this story, this this interview has kind of been in the works for the past eight years, if you really want to think oh, about wow. it. Yeah, um, that, had to be, uh, that had to be Kim. And uh, Kim, of course, left us in 2012, uh, but then rejoined us about four years later, and she's, she's now our brewmaster. So, oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, so what, so what is, of course, back then you were just a kind of a small brewery in the islands up in Lahaina. And now you've got a big brewery in Kihei. And of course I'm on the mainland uh, on the West coast and I can get it. But of course you distribute quite a ways. What, what is your distribution footprint? Sure. So we're in, uh, 22 States now. Uh, and I believe, uh, right now sitting on four countries, uh, we recently pulled out of a state where, our wholesaler was selling the beer portfolio to Budweiser, uh, and it really didn't make sense for us to be a part of that. Um, you know, plus it was an incremental sale volume for us. You know, our focus really is selling in the in the islands. Um, you know, we love all the markets that we're in. I mean, I love to go host events and you know drink beers with people all over our our, our great country, but. Um, you know, we sell 80% of our beer in Hawaii, and given the cost of shipping and the cost of production, it really does make sense to sell uh, more beer close to home. And uh, as such, you know, we've started to look at other beverages, and so we've gotten into distillation and canned cocktails, uh, natural non-alcoholic sodas, uh, and then we're launching our hard seltzer uh, later this year as well. Oh yeah, and I yeah I definitely want to talk about that stuff too. But you know, granted, so when I've gone to Hawaii, in fact, you know, I went back again in 2013, celebrated my birthday at at your bar, and and uh, of course, you know, we were back there this summer, and that, that's kind of where, as a result of that trip, you and I connected over the phone for a story I was doing. But but uh, you know, here here I am in Oregon, in a you know, as of this recording, it's October, and a few months uh, I may be buried in snow, dreaming of the islands. <laughs> Is, is that the whole point of you 
trying to get your beer off the islands into other states is just so people can still have that uh, aloha spirit uh, in the dead of winter and, and just tease people like me or what's what's the sure point? yeah that's definitely part of it I mean it's a uh, you know for us we're um, you know exporting aloha if you will a little bit you know with uh, Pete Scheider our national sales manager likes to say you know we bring you we bring you back to Maui and to Hawaii 12 ounces at a time you know yeah, so nice. if you're out drinking a can of our beer somewhere across the country uh, you know we like to think that you're thinking about being on a beach in Maui and uh, I think it does really resonate um, everyone I've ever met that talks about um, you know their trip to Hawaii you know just lights up with excitement and joy and love and you know you can see that they can't wait to get back and it's uh it's it's really always a beautiful thing because sometimes it's easy to forget uh you know that we really truly do live in a paradise so um you know when you're when you're stuck in the in the uh in the day-to-day grind you know grinding it out here it, it can be difficult to manufacture in hawaii uh to say the least uh it's nice to be reminded just how fortunate we are yeah, and and that's why the rest of us buy T-shirts and put stickers on the back of our car, just to remind us exactly. of that that time we spent. But but of course now we can actually, you know, uh, right after you released your uh, Pauhana Pilsner, of course, you know, I had to get it to try it, and and of course uh, uh, Pauhana is something that. Um, you know, kind of means something to anyone who's been to the islands. It's, you know, after work is done, then you, it's kind of like a gathering and of getting the yep. the people together. And, and that was just, you know, what your beer is bringing is not just a flavor, but just kind of a little bit more of a mindset, almost like a, just a mini quick vacay. Um, yeah, uh, time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just to just to remind you, hey, don't forget what's important. Um, which is which is really why I wanted to talk to you about this uh, on this podcast. Is you know, and we'll get there, but. Um, but uh, I, I kind of want to flesh out what Maui Brewing is and what it's doing. So you're distributing to um, uh, a couple dozen states, and uh, so obviously you're doing beer. Um, I've, I've seen you're also doing some really high-end premium, like barrel-aged beers. Um, but yep. you're doing soda, you just released uh, cocktails, and you're going to do uh, seltzer here pretty soon, right? Exactly, yeah. And, you know, most of those other beverages, you know, so obviously all of our beer, um, nearly all of the beer we brew does uh, make it at some point to the mainland. So, you know, we don't really hold back much here other than beer that is uh, brewed in really limited quantities. But, um, you know, ultimately we, we've we decided to hold the seltzer, the canned cocktails, and the sodas. Uh, although sodas are available for purchase online, it's the one liquid we are allowed to ship. Um but we, you know, we're, as we grow, we're, we're growing that distribution here in Hawaii for the uh, what we call the Beyond Beer portfolio. Uh, you know, and that's just a measure to try and you know increase uh, you know our sales in Hawaii as opposed to the enormous amount of money we spend to ship. Hmm. And and so and uh, you know, remind me, I want to come back to this uh, piece in just a sec. As far as um, you know, the the number one reason why I wanted to talk to you specifically is just the sustainability uh, piece that that you've created with Maui Brewing. But there's a bunch of side stories there too. But um, sure. So I'm sorry. I'm going to put a pin in that one just for a second. Um, let's, let's go back to Hawaii. That just the whole thing. Hawaii is is not just a place. It's more of like a it's more of like a thought process. I mean, the Aloha spirit is just broadcast throughout the world. Um, and I just wrote a story after uh, interviewing some, another brewery off the, on the mainland about, uh, Lokahi and just kind of like the, the idea of profits being equally as important as the community, the land, even the, the spirit and the traditions of Hawaii. What is sure. the, what is the, 
as far as Hawaii goes, I mean, granted, anyone who's vacationed there knows Hawaii is a dream, but but anyone who's lived there knows, well, no place is perfect. What is the mm-hmm. good, the bad, and the ugly of Hawaii yeah, as far as beer is concerned? You know, yeah, I mean, as far as, I mean, it's really as far as anything is concerned, but, you know, in beer specifically, you know, we don't have the environment to grow, um, you know, barley, and then especially with the the water and the power intensity that's needed to, to do, uh, to, to be a maltster, uh, you know, you can't get local malted barley, for example. Um, you know, the hops don't really grow here because we have shorter daylight and we have, uh, obviously, why everybody wants to come here is it's warmer, and, and really hops need that frost to be able to uh, bud and continue to grow. So, uh, you know, from an ingredient standpoint, we've got to ship everything in. Um, you know, uh, just a simple fact is, you know, most of my, my colleagues on the mainland, uh, you know, when they order uh, grain delivery, you know, they can get it within two to three days. They've got their silo getting filled from a truck, where over here it's, 10 weeks of lead time to get our bulk grain from Germany um, or from England or wherever it's coming from. Uh, that could be as little as six weeks if it's uh, two row coming from the mainland. Uh, but then all that equipment that everybody has on the trucks to fill the silos, you know, we had to buy special equipment to fill our own silo. Um, there is no bulk grain delivery service. So you're talking about an enormous amount of lead time and additional equipment necessary um, one of the highest tax environments in the country, not only for income tax, but also alcohol tax, uh, high cost of labor, high cost of insurance, and one of the highest cost of utilities uh, in the country. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything's stacked against you when it comes to trying to land on the shelf at a competitive price. So, um, you know, we essentially, we, we have to all do more, and we all have to be, uh, we all have to be okay making less money. Uh, to be competitive, but, you know, it is that uh, the quality of life is something that does factor into it, you know, where, you know, at the end of the day, when you're driving home, you're, you know, 20 feet from the beach, and you're, you know, driving along the Pilani Highway, you know, looking at the water, it's like, yeah, this is a pretty cool place, so, you know, there's there's pluses and minuses for sure, um, you know, and it's, all, it, you know, like you said, everything has a pro and a con, but, uh, when you do get off for the day or when you're off on the weekend and you can hop in that, you know, 82 degree cold water, um, you know, that's uh, not a bad thing. So, oh, for uh, sure. I, you know, I think, I think it's all worth it. There are those times where I want to like scream, <laughs> but, uh, ultimately it's, um, it's a great place to be. And, and, you know, there are those people who, well, at least up until recently, uh, you know, started a big brewery and probably live in a, a two to four story house. Um, but, uh, you know, I would give that up for a one story house to be able to go into the, the beach on a, at least a weekly basis. You know, so yeah. I, I think your point to um, the uh, the quality of life is there. But but of course, Hawaii is just insanely expensive, uh, depending on what yeah. it is you're trying to get. I, I remember trying to get a gallon of milk and it was like eight or nine bucks and it was just, sure. you know, and that's, that's, it's true. You know, I, my only answer to that though, is how much milk do you really drink that that's going to make a difference in your, in your net take home? You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Like, I, I mean, I go through a half a gallon of milk maybe in a week, you know, and, um, and I like to buy organic, so I spend a little bit more, but, you know, I don't use so much. So I guess it's just, it's you know, it is relative, though. Um, you know, we, 
have high gas prices, but I've looked at some of the prices in California that people are paying, and gas is way more expensive in California, but California's lost its mind. I, I'm, I'm a native <laughs> Californian, but man, I tell you, that state has just jumped the shark. Yeah, I remember. Um, <laughs> good image. But the, uh, yeah, the, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, here, you know, people say about high gas prices, but we're on small islands. Where are you driving that it's that big a difference, you know? Um, so I, I think it's really, it is relative. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like you said, though, you know, you do have to make that choice. And, you know, as like I said earlier, I referenced my, you know, young 20-something-year-old self, you know, starting out. You know, you think about making money. You think about uh, having a nice house. You think about these things. And I think as you get older and you see friends pass away, you see uh, older relatives passing away, you know, whatever it might be, you know, you start really looking at, you know, quality of life and what that means. And it's, it's really comes down to the experiences and the relationships um, over, over the house. So man, I'll tell you, having a, a small house in Hawaii where you can hop in the water every day, um, that's a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, very different than I think the, the mindset as a younger person. Well, and that, and that's a, a perfect little bridge to the next, uh, next thing that I wanted to talk about is just, you know, talking about that, that quality of life or, or even just the compensation package that you would expect from working anywhere. Um, you know, most people just think of compensation in terms of, of, uh, money and maybe even benefits, but, but as far as that, that quality of life and incorporating that into living in a place that's warmer where, where people are nicer um, and you don't have to lock your doors or whatever it may be, these are all things that really ought to be factored in. And so in my experiences with Hawaii and really talking to people who are from there, who live there, um, it's funny, where I live in, uh, in Oregon, there are a ton of Hawaiians that live in this area and they... And really, sure. the reason why they left is just because uh, it got too expensive. But otherwise, they'd be back there in a heartbeat. Um, exactly. Yeah, we see that a lot. Yeah. Um, but but as far as like you know, and we can uh, tailor this to what you've done with Maui Brewing, where you're trying to put out beer, you're trying to, I mean, you're a business, you're trying to make some money, you're also trying to um, uh, take care of your employees as well, and you have a lot of employees now, but. Yep. Let, let's let's really dive into the uh, sustainable uh, piece of what you're doing. Sure. What what tell me tell me about what you have done with uh, Maui Brewing as far as the uh, environmental piece. Sure. So uh, you know, for us, uh, sustainability has been a, a driving force for us. Um, you know, really, really since the beginning. Um, you know, admittedly, what we were able to do then versus what we're able to do now are are two very different things. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was how can we conserve energy and conserve water and, and try to be as efficient as possible? And uh, now that's still, of course, a factor. But, you know, what started off with, um, you know, replacing incandescent or halogen lights with uh, CFLs and LEDs now uh, has morphed into how do we produce our own energy? So, um, you know, when we started building the Kihei facility back in 2012 or so, um, you know, we knew we wanted to add solar, and uh, which we already had on our old building as well. Uh, but we wanted to, to really um, invest even further. So the dream of going grid independent was born. And uh, we achieved that in uh, late August of this year with our uh, 1.2 roughly megawatt microgrid uh, that we, um, we essentially turned on by the time now it was completed, what is that, almost five years, six years in, in, uh, in the making. 
Uh, but it produces right now about 80% of our energy uh, using our um, our PV array. Uh, we also have uh, Tesla power packs that provide about three megawatt hours of storage, uh, so that we can, can we're basically powered by batteries at night. Uh, battery-powered brewery, <laughs> and then uh, we're backed up by biodiesel generators, so that you know that additional either 20% or uh, you know for demand shaving or topping up the batteries is done without fossil fuels. Um, I would like to add that you know Maui Electric and, and uh, as part of the Heco companies, uh, they have been supportive, uh, challenging at times, but supportive of our initiatives. Uh, provided an opportunity to learn uh, because no one else was doing a project of this kind. Uh, but we use the term grid independent as opposed to off grid, and uh, the the difference there is that we are capable of running in an island mode. Uh, meaning that we're producing all of our own energy, but we have chosen to select uh, to, to be able to be connected to the grid so that we can bounce bef- between grid and generator power as necessary. Um, and at the same time, if the grid goes down or needs extra power production, let's say there was a hurricane or some other uh, catastrophe here, we can actually provide power to the grid to help the community. Um, so that was another benefit of being grid independent as opposed to off-grid, which would mean severing ties completely. Gotcha. And so to me, you know, if, I, if I'm thinking from a business standpoint, I'm thinking, okay, think, uh, you know, you, this investment will pay off over the long haul. And this was a, this was a, uh, a business investment to reduce our costs in the long run. Um, but uh, you also shared me, uh, when you and I spoke uh, some time ago um, offline, you shared that, that uh, the goal, once you're uh, grid independent, and like you just shared, uh, being able to supply um, power back to the grid in a, an emergency situation, for example. But you also shared that uh, if, if you had the ability to uh, share power with local nonprofits uh, just to kind of support the community in a way. Yeah, and and that, sure. that's not really a bottom line business decision. That You're not balancing uh, um, your, uh, your P&L uh, statement there, but, but you're actually significantly contributing to the community. Sure. Yeah, and that's important. That you know, I think... Um, yeah, it is something that, um, you know, in our in our microgrid, you know, of course, you know, anybody who's at least a little bit familiar with solar knows that, you know, the sun isn't up and down at the same time every day. And, you know, in the summer and spring, you're going to have longer daylight hours than you are in the winter. So, um, you know, in, in those peak production months, um, you know, we will overproduce and charge our batteries and still produce even beyond what we can use. So, you know, our goal would be to work with the state uh, and especially the the uh, PUC to be able to donate that additional power, uh, free of compensation, of course, uh, to uh, you know nonprofits within the state. And I don't believe that we have a grid that's capable of that currently. And when I say we, I think the county and especially the state. But I think with the investment in the smart meters and and the the, the grid technology that's going into place, uh, that would be something that uh, could be doable. And I would argue you could really do it if you wanted to. It would be an accounting thing as opposed to an automatic meter thing. But um, let's just say that uh, that energy goes somewhere and someone else resells it, and it's hard for them to give that up for free. And I, I just wish I wish people would uh, consider the benefit to the community more uh, on that side. And what have the power companies' um, thoughts on, on that? It seems like if you're giving to someone who needs it, but you're also uh, taking an opportunity away from the people who hold the power, literally speaking. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think that pretty much summarizes their position as well. <laughs> um, gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I can't say for sure because I still like to think, you know, when we're talking dumping, you know, a couple hundred thousand kilowatt hours a year, you know, you're really only talking about, you know, say at the end of the day, maybe sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 worth of power. But, you know, and it wouldn't be happening, uh, you know, in mass, you know, oh, not many people are producing that much energy. You know, we're one of probably a handful. So, um, you know, I think it wouldn't be that much of a cost to them. And they're such a big company. Maybe they don't care. But, um, you know, I've always gotten the, oh, well, that's not, we're not capable of doing that. And so, uh, you know, it's something I intend to bring up with government as we continue to, um, you know, focus on how do we make a stronger community in Hawaii. And and so, again, that kind of brings up the, the community sense. I mean, granted, you have um, my experience with Hawaii is you have uh, the classes are very, very divided, more so than uh, other places in the country. But you have the 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 have a lots and the have very little all kind of uh, huddled together in one island. Um, and correct sure. me, if, correct me if any of this is uh, if I misunderstand any of this. But um, but uh, is there still that sense of of overall community that that the that the islands profess to have? Even yeah, I when think, you get into these I think in large part. Oh, good. When even when you get into these kind of the the weeds of this uh, power quote unquote power struggle that we're talking about. Sure, I, I think ultimately yes. Um, you know, I think uh, Hawaii is unique in that way. That 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 is still a primary concern. Uh, I think, and you said earlier, um, you know, it's it's not just what you're doing, it's, you know, how you do things that's important and, and the focus. And, and I think very much so the community is in large part, um, you know, definitely community focused, you know, the residents here. So, um, you know, there are those who are, you know, you know, part of your residents are very important to our economy, of course, but there are some that are members of the community when they're here and there are others that are just net draws on the community. And, uh, but I do think in, um, in large part, I, I do, I like to think that the community is uh, thinking about all of Hawaii when it makes decisions. And although it might not always feel that way, um, you know, I, I think you've, everybody's seen what's happening on Mauna Kea and, and, and those issues. Um, unfortunately, Hawaii is as beautiful as it is and as community minded as it is, it's not in a very strong place economically. And, uh, you know, the future is undecided, of course, but uh, it can be, it's going to present a challenge. And I think there are very unpopular decisions that are going to have to get made. And almost one of those, hey, I'm sorry, but this is what we need to do to ensure a strong Hawaii. And uh, I think it's going to I think that's going to rear its head. What what needs to be done that is unpopular, but has to be done to ensure the continuation in, in the way of life that's here. Uh, and that is going to continue to present challenges. Hmm. Uh, well, let's let's get uh, let's get back to the beer. Um, sure. Um, sorry. Quick distraction. Um, um, Let's see where we're. Oh, the sustainability piece. Uh, so we're uh, yep. green, independent, uh, solar powered. But what other, what other things is Maui Brewing doing that's uh, kind of adding to the whole sustainable piece? 
Yeah, so we've installed uh, solar thermal, uh, so we can heat water, of course, uh, which is actually a, a very small portion of what our solar thermal is meant to do. Um, you know, it's going in, actually installing now. Uh, the, the, the balance of solar thermal generation is actually there to create uh, cooling capacity. Uh, it's a, a technology called solar chilling, essentially. Basically, you take heat and you convert it to cold uh, through an uh, energy a heat exchange process, and um, that's something that we've installed to be able to give us more cold water and to take pressure off of our chillers so that we're able to uh, run them less. And running them less means conser uh, conserving power because we don't have to feed them with as much electricity. Um, and then another thing that we do is uh, CO2 recovery. So we have uh, the very first containerized uh, CO2 recovery solution from uh, what is now Pentair, which was uh, prior to that union. Uh, and the original contractor we hired was Wittemann, but through mergers and acquisitions, all three of those companies are now Pentair. Um, so we have uh, a system from them that reclaims our CO2 that works uh, most of the time, a little over 50% of the time. Uh, but it is something that's in constant refinement because it was, again, serial number one. Um, so we're looking at adding another one of those to capture additional CO2. Um, not only do we have some of the highest cost of uh, CO2 in the country, 10 times-ish, the national average, uh, but we do have um, our CO2 is produced via, I believe, petroleum uh, processes over on Oahu. So then it's put on a boat, then put on a truck to get to us. So there's an enormous carbon footprint to our CO2. Uh, and so being able to reclaim our own uh, significantly reduces our, our carbon footprint here in Hawaii, uh, which is a, is a very important thing to us. Uh, and uh, what do you guys do with your uh, brewery effluent and your use of water as well? Sure. So we, uh, we, work to, um, we work to reduce our water consumption wherever possible. Uh, that's number one. Uh, I think water is a precious resource that's not always going to be around in the, in the way it is uh, unless we do something about conservation. Uh, wastewater, we, we have a pretreatment facility, and then we send it to our sewage. We are looking at digestion and adding that to uh, a measure of um, energy production. Um, and then we... Um, you know, I, I guess from a that's that's our wastewater conservation side, uh, or work. And then the uh, spent grains and such. Spent grains actually go to local farmers. Uh, you know, much like most breweries. Uh, you sure. know, we don't have as many farmers here as they do in the mainland, but uh, the farmers here do take all of our spent grain for feed and for compost, etc. So we give that freely, of course, to them. Well, and, and then so uh, earlier in this conversation, we talked about. Um, your expansion uh, into, uh, well, you've been doing sodas, but, you know, the uh, seltzers and the cocktails. How does um, expanding your portfolio, uh, how does that kind of jive with um, with the whole sustainable piece? I mean, does that tax it more or is everything just in line with what you're trying to do? Well, what it does is, you know, the more, you know, at some point, you know, this year we'll we'll get to that sixty thousand barrel mark, which is, uh, you know, really a an interesting point for the life of a craft brewery, where you know our taxes go up substantially at sixty thousand barrels federally, of course, okay. and um, you know, you look at that additional um, tax bill that comes, you know, you're basically, you know, the, if anyone's 
who familiar with the way taxes are done on federally per barrel of beer you know it used to be seven dollars a barrel it's now three dollars and fifty cents a barrel uh, at least through December of this year hopefully that gets extended uh, but from sixty thousand and one and above to two million that three dollars and fifty cents goes to sixteen dollars so an additional twelve dollars and fifty cents for every one barrel of beer that you produce so that really starts to gut your margins uh, especially when you add shipping and, and and local taxes, et cetera, on top of that. So, you know, for us, you know, being a super efficient 60,000 barrel brewery is the most important thing. But these, some of our other beverages are, you know, other than beer, if you will, um, those beverages allow us to continue to grow um, and keep that here so that we don't have to worry about the incremental sales in the mainland. Uh, it, it could be a very realistic future where we don't ship any uh, or, or much beer to the mainland and uh, that, you know, over the next several years, of course, because as those costs continue to grow up, it may make sense to shift beer production that's getting sold to the mainland to maybe canned cocktail production here in Hawaii or as beer sales rise in Hawaii, instead of investing in more capacity to go to 61,000 barrels or 65,000 barrels or etc., it makes more sense to shift that production, say, out of um, Ohio to move it to uh, Hawaii only. And mm -hmm. then you save on that shipping margin as well as that carbon footprint of shipping beer all the way uh, to Ohio. Because uh, for us at the moment, um, brewing on the mainland is not an option. Yeah, and I, I think I've heard you say that where as long as as long as long you're uh, alive and still at the helm, that uh, Maui Brewing will always be brewed in Hawaii. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I, that is one of the things I'd tell my 20-year-old self to pump the brakes on a little bit. But uh, I do think it's because the, mo the model has shifted. Uh, you know, if you look at where things were when we were starting out and the way beer sales were done and then just the craft brewing community at large, uh, it's very different than it is today. So, um, you know, I think when you look at freshness, even just use that as an example, which freshness is relative, which I think many people don't understand that. Uh, it's not just the date it was canned or bottled. It's how was it canned? How was it bottled? How was it treated? How much DO went into it or was in it before you even got it to the package? Because uh, I'd put my 30-day IPA against a lot of people's, you know, one-day-old IPAs. Um, you know, and that's just a matter of fact in, in packaging and storage transport. But ultimately, you know, if we wanted to talk about freshness and, you know, you say, okay, well, you know, brewing an IPA in the mainland for that market makes more sense than shipping it from Hawaii, which is going to add two to three weeks minimum before it gets to the customer. You know, that's a different world than it was back in 05, 06, 07, where it was just local is all that mattered, not fresh. Fresh wasn't even really considered at that time, you know. And so I think there's just a lot of differences in, in the market now. Um, I have zero plans to brew in the mainland, and, and I do still think that it, as long as I'm sitting here, we most likely won't. But that's what's given rise to the beyond beer side of things for us, uh, because we are a business and, and we do need to have profits. So we'll continue to grow uh, in Hawaii uh, as much as we can. Yeah, and my experience in the 90s and the 2000s with beer is, <clears throat> excuse me, all the all the breweries were basically just a bunch of of rogue artists who were who uh, 
found found themselves into a very lucky situation of like, hey, everyone loves craft beer now. Let's high five each other and uh, count our dollars. Um, but sure. that, but the whole brewing industry has grown up. Has is you know, um, you know, if it were a marriage, we're kind of hitting that uh, that first plateau of like, ooh, this is going to be challenging. Let's get over this type of situation. Um, but we're learning a lot. We're we're becoming more sophisticated and. And you know, just like you with Maui Brewing, um, you know, you know, you were a brewery specifically, but now you're, you know, creating other products and maybe turning it into more of a beverage company than a brewing company. And but you're yeah. not the only ones. I mean, people are see, see the writing on the wall, and we're creating other things. It's the whole adage of give the people what they want. And if people yeah, exactly. if people don't want an IPA anymore, they want a, uh, uh, you know, a pineapple seltzer. Then so be it. But um, exactly. But if I were king of the world, I'd say, nope, well, let's just stick to beer because it's fantastic. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, we, we have to, um, we're never going to deviate from our core competencies. And, and our focus, of course, on craft beer will always be a craft brewery uh, at our heart. But, you know, we are also a business and we need to think about other beverages because, let's face it, I don't care even the, the, the most staunch supporter of beer only in craft beer world uh, is granted drinking a cocktail by the second night of GABF. So why don't we make cocktails? You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen it many times, brewers chanting, oh, you know, you've, you've sold out, you don't, uh, you, know, you, you, you brew seltzer now. It's like, well, you know, what, what, I saw you drinking a seltzer on your Instagram last weekend. Mm-hmm. So you can't have it both ways. And if brewers are drinking other beverages, why wouldn't we make other beverages that customers, our craft beer drinkers, our supporters want to drink on occasion? Because it's not only craft beer at every occasion anymore, uh, if it ever even was. You know, but if we're making them in the light of how we do everything else, then what's really wrong with that? Um, you know, and, and to each their own. Everybody's business model is a bit different. And, um, you know, I don't fault anyone for making uh, different decisions that benefit them. I, and I uh, I have worked for a brewery before where it was the, the mindset was, you know, the spirits, wine and all the stuff that's, uh, you know, kind of uh, carving out uh, the beer uh, piece of the pie. They were kind of regarded as almost like the enemy or the opposition when in reality, if you approach it from that standpoint, you're just going to isolate yourself. Um, you just know full well that the people who are drinking our kind of beer are tend to be demographically speaking a little bit more sophisticated and are likely going to have a glass of wine likely have whiskey and some gin and 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 experiment with different things and it really become more of and being a cicerone I, i try to teach people you know focus on the flavors not the labels of i'm a beer drinker i'm a wine drinker no no focus on what the flavors are bringing you and how you can use that as a tool what like we talked about at the very beginning how to foster relationships and create incredible experiences and that's i think yep. that's the way we ought to focus on it yep true absolutely um so uh i'm gonna circle back around to the uh, sustainability piece uh you know i know a lot of that has just been a smart business decision for you, but part of that has been a 
um, this is how we do it on Hawaii. We take care of each other. And um, I could, another uh, a beer writer on, on the islands once told me that, you know, it's, living on the islands is like living on a canoe. You all kind of have to get along. Um, yeah. But so if I were to open a brewery somewhere in the mainland, but I really wanted to be as environmentally sustainable as possible and basically use you guys of a, as a model, even though I didn't necessarily need to from a business standpoint, how could I go about doing that? Well, I think it definitely comes down to, you know, the first step is being as efficient as possible, so not wasting energy, uh, you know, making sure you either have occupancy sensors or timers or other ways to make sure your lights are only on when you need them, um, you know, training the team that, you know, if you're not working in this particular area of the building uh, or offices, do you need AC on or do you need the fans on in the back half of the warehouse when no one's there? You know, those are those are just the basics on on conservation is is decreasing your consumption. Um, beyond that, uh, it's become. I mean, I don't even know that you can buy an incandescent light fixture anymore in in most places. Or why would you when um, you know LEDs are just as good and uh, and and at this point uh, priced very competitively. Um, you know, variable frequency drives on pumps and motors, those types of things. Um, you know, the low-hanging fruit is where I'd start before I spend money in generation. Uh, generation becomes very expensive very quickly, especially with battery storage, uh, and that's something that you, you're going to you want to have an ROI model that makes it worthwhile, and that would come from uh, a combination of any sort of state or federal tax credits that are available. Uh, including any sort of um, grant programs that might be available, uh, and then beyond that, what the cost of energy is. And and so that's a, that sounds like to me a very business oriented uh, logistical uh, approach to it. But then again, you could also give us advice on how to be a better community member because you you are in a place that is more community uh, ohana minded. Um, and a lot of other places. What, how would you approach that from the standpoint of just doing right by the community? Well, I think, too, the, you know, the energy on its own um, isn't just a community aspect. I mean, because let's face it, I mean, if you spend as much money as it takes to go grid independent and make your own energy, um, you know, you can, you can spend all your money really quickly and then you're not really there to help support the community at some point. So, um, you know, I, I think the community-minded aspect is, you know, to just be a good community member and, you know, support local causes. You know, many of us craft brewers aren't able to donate money necessarily uh, to everyone who asks for it because everyone does ask. Um, but also, you know, the in-kind and, you know, fundraisers and things like that are important Um you know, really, the community is going to support you uh, if you get out there and tell your story, and then you support them. It's a relationship. So I think that's uh, an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, but the energy alone isn't going to be, um, you know, solely a community-minded aspect. I mean, long-term it is because you're, you're contributing to um, consideration of the environment, but it, it is something that isn't necessarily on its own directly benefiting the community, unless you're able to, like in our case, you know, help power part of the community in a time of need if, if the main electrical grid is down. Gotcha. No, that's that's great advice. Just kind of do the right thing and, you know, focus on the logistics later on, but just, just be a good, just be a good corporate person and help, help out yeah. each other, right? That's simple. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, 
I think there's that meme going around. So like, just don't be a dick, you know, be, <laughs> right. be a good person. Yeah. You know, it's like, I know. It's, you know, if you just use that as like, you know, that kind of golden rule, right? Like how, how do you want to be treated? Maybe you treat others that way. I think that's probably a pretty good place to start. Well, maybe uh, Maui Brewing should make up a bunch of t-shirts and send them to Washington, D.C. It says, don't be a dick, have a beer. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's something everybody can get together around is beer. I mean, I think beer is the the most bipartisan issue that's been uh, raised at Congress in a long time. So, um, you know, supporting craft brewers who in turn support the community, um, you know, those are uh, it's a no brainer. It's a win win for everyone. Excellent. Um, Well, I've got a a few kind of wind down questions for you. Um, And the first one of which is uh, if you could be the beer king or the, yeah, the beer king of the world for a day, what would you change? Beer king of the world for the day. I'd get rid of glitter and beer. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not aware of glitter and beer. People are putting glitter in beer. On purpose. Yeah, uh, it's a thing, I guess. Um, I don't think it's a great thing, but uh, I jest a bit. I mean, I, I don't fault anyone for making what they call beer, but uh, that one for me just, uh, you know, and in part, that's a community thing because an environmental side where glitter is, you know, microplastics and, you know, that just goes through the person into the toilet and back into the into the water supply and ocean. So I think uh, microplastics are an issue. And, you know, I think if, if I also think that glitter doesn't necessarily belong in beer, but it's uh, it's both uh, a beer side and an environmental side. That'd be my thing. Yeah, I, I think glitter belongs in your Goldschlager, but not your beer. Yeah, exactly. Right. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, I got to look that up. Um, if you had the opportunity to choose your very last meal and your very last beer before you depart this earth, what would they be? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I would probably say, I'd probably say the San Clemente pizza from Pizza Port. And, um, you know, I'm going to not pick one of my own beers because that's just, I, I got to be, I got to be fair. I'd probably say uh, 394 and a, and a slice of a San Clemente. Nice. That, that's not the that's not the first time I've heard Pizza Port uh, as an answer to that question on this podcast. Yeah, and that San Clemente pizza is just unreal. It's a you know the the black bean. I do it on the the, the whole be- the whole wheat crust and extra jalapenos and red onions and yeah and a pint of Alesmith three ninety four. I think that'd be a good one. And hopefully uh, sitting at the pier just watching the surf. Exactly. Uh, sorry, I, I projected my own visions there. Uh, well, you know San Diego uh, blood, right? I know, right. Hey, uh, um, uh, last big question before I kind of finish up with some more uh, housekeeping questions. But um, with all of your experiences thus far and everything, and your impact in the beer culture uh, across the world, and especially U.S., um, in your estimation, why does good beer matter? Uh, good beer matters because if we're not making good beer, uh, the only thing out there is, of course, then the antithesis, which is shitty beer. Um you know, I think we can, I think by making bad beer, um, you know, we hurt real like craft brewers and the industry because the, the customers, the craft beer drinkers then don't experience quality beer. And that's something that if you've got a brewery, uh, albeit a popular brewery in a particular area, not making good beer, it brings down all the other brewers, um, in terms of creating new craft beer drinkers. So, um, I think it's very important that quality is always uh, first and foremost for a brewer. Um, 
you know, and at the end of the day, you know, when I think about beer, I envision people coming together for that pauhana and creating relationships that affect uh, the community in a much more positive way. Um, so, yeah, good beer matters because it brings people together. And you just can't do that with a, not, I, would, I don't even want to say a bad beer, but a forgettable beer. That just doesn't bring people together quite like something exceptional. It doesn't. It doesn't. And, you know, Garrett Oliver says, you know, uh, you know, wine is a handshake, beer is a hug. And I think, uh, you know, good quality beer, definitely when you drink it, you you, you know it and you, you taste it and you're like, you know, you, you feel that beer hugging you. <laughs> and it's a, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. I, I agree. I love it. Thank you. Um, so for anyone listening who wants to learn more about you, because uh, you, you're a man about, I'll say about town, but your town is the size of the earth. Um, uh, uh, if uh, anyone wants to connect with you um, or Maui Brewing or just learn more about the su- sustainability piece, where can they go? Uh, so, of course, our website, uh, for anyone who's not a millennial, because they don't get on the web anymore, I think, uh, is www.mauibrewing.com. I'm, of course, joking. Uh, and then we have all of our social media at Maui Brewing Co. So, again, at Maui Brewing Co. Uh, for our cocktails and spirits program, that's at Kupu Spirits. And uh, if you want to see pictures of my shoes, that's at Maui Garrett. <laughs> Yes, your shoes are a thing as well as. Oh, and by the way, uh, um, I've, I've been following your Instagram. Looks like you just recently got your pilot's license. I did. Right? Yeah, I congratulations. Did. So the the, the, pi- the pilot's life for you now, right? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, uh, the fly life, as you say. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and and apparently, uh, your most recent post, you're also a fan of making your own ho- uh, homemade focaccia bread. Another thing we have in common. I am. I oh, am. Man. Baking is one of those things that, man, you need to have patience, and uh, and and you, you can't rush it. So yeah, I'm uh, Adam Dooley, the executive chef for the Brewers Association. Yeah. He's uh, he showed me how to make that, and. Um, you know, it's amazing how soothing it can be and how stressful it can be at the same time. But it really does take your attention away from the daily stressors, and you know, you need to you need to put that uh, you need to put that love into that into that bread for sure. But just like brewing beer, but not taking quite as long. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, um, cool. do you have any last words of wisdom before we uh, head off? Uh, no, just uh, you know, keep drinking good beer and. Uh, you know, I think, you know, always remember that, uh, we don't, we don't know what's happening in someone else's life. So maybe, uh, give a little extra mile and, um, don't be a dick. Excellent. That, that, that's gotta be a new <laughs> slogan. Don't, don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, cool. Garrett, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and, uh, I'll, I'll send you an email, uh, just to follow up after this, but, uh, thank you for being here. You bet. Nice talking to you, brother. Likewise. Bye-bye. Hello. Business doesn't always have to show double-digit growth in order to be successful. There can be more than numbers on the bottom line. Sometimes success is taking care of the environment, taking care of each other, and putting the Aloha spirit into a beer that is so good you can taste it. Join us in the next episode where we visit with a woman who has made teaching the business of beer more than a hobby. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, 
Grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.